TV consumption was a fixture in my childhood. Still is. I particularly remember following Food Network's Iron Chef and Chopped, as well as Bravo's Top Chef. Watching chefs brainstorm and furiously scramble to output food masterpieces in an allotted time became truly remarkable feats. And their spontaneous recipes, bursting with creativity, continues to intrigue me to this day. And might I say, makes me hungry for more. Tiffany Faison, chef and restaurateur based in Boston, was one of the first chefs I remember watching on TV. Not only was she a finalist on the first season of Bravo's Top Chef, she was also nominated for a 2018 James Beard Award for Best Chef in the Northeast. Given her remarkable accolades, amazingly delectable and spunky dish creations, an upbeat personality, I had to ask her about her journey to the restaurant industry and unpack the differences between cooking competitively and designing dishes for menus. And that's not the only reason I admire her. Tiffany is a fierce advocate for the Me Too movement and the LGBT community, and has written articles for Eater on these topics. And so, I hope you enjoy our conversation, recorded from her restaurant Tiger Mama in Boston, Massachusetts. You're listening to Gouda Talks, a podcast about culture and food by Jess Ang on WHRB Cambridge 95.3 FM. My name is Tiffany Faison. Um, my preferred pronouns are she and her. I am the chef and owner of Tiger Mama Sweet Cheeks and Fools Errand here in Boston. I just have a couple of questions for you. Again, we'll see where this takes us. Can you tell me about your earliest memory in the kitchen? Well, they're both like disastrous and terrifying of both memories. So I don't I definitely like don't have that story of like growing up at my mom or grandmother's knee cooking at home. That was not that's just not my story. My brother and I decided we were gonna um, this is the most vivid one. My brother and I decided that we were gonna clean the house for our parents before they came home like on a Friday night. Like what good kids, right? And so we did this like huge clean project, clean the whole house and we were like, then let's make dinner. And we decided we were gonna make fettuccine Alfredo. Not for the faint of heart initially like it's already just like not the easy it's not a hard recipe but it's not easy for like I don't know I was in elementary school I think or maybe just seventh grade I think I was in elementary school and um, he's three years older than I am so not no collective cooking experience and so the recipe called for heavy whipping cream to us who kids that were grown up in like an army setting and like not with particularly like affluent influences in our lives or access to a lot of fancier food that meant cool whip <laughs> Obviously. Oh my god. Right. So we made fettuccine alfredo with Cool Whip and it was, we didn't taste it before we sat down for dinner. We just thought like it looks good, looks like it's supposed to. So we sat down and it was like the collective, you know, just like horror coming over like everyone's face. And so uh, we ended up having pizza that night, but not for the lack of effort. I know the intentions were yes. good, but the product was really horrendous. Yeah. And then professionally, kind of similar, similarly horrific. I had never cooked before, and I was working mostly front of the house for all front of the house in restaurants, and on a kind of lark, was watching a kitchen and asked if I could learn a station, and when the laughing subsided a couple weeks later, and I think they really needed help, I started on a station, and it was just like, it was horrendous. Like, I literally was just spinning around in circles every day for a very long time. So is there like a moment when you wanted, so you had this ask, and you're like, can I like try it out. Yeah. Is there a moment when you decided you wanted to do it? What clicked in your mind? That's a great question. And I don't know if like that golden moment, right, where this like the clouds part and you know the heavens sing to you and this is it. That did not happen. It was more I was I just refused to quit because it expected me to quit. And 
I tend to be a fairly competitive person, so I also had these people, you know, other people cooking and running around me, mostly young men, um, younger than I was at the time, that were, they expected me to quit. You know, I just would, like, refuse to quit, and it was miserable. I hated it for, like, the first probably year and a half, two years. Again, there wasn't, like, a moment where I just thought, oh, like, I love this, I just refuse to quit. And then one day I woke up and it was, it fit like a glove. It made so much sense in my life. So while that moment didn't happen, I do remember a moment when I decided to stay with it. Like I had gotten to kind of a midpoint in my career. I was a sous chef and had just been grinding it out for so long and was just tired. And, you know, I think there's phases to one's career, and you know, especially when you do something that requires a lot of your time. And I think that anyone that wants to be good at anything, you have to put a lot of time in, you know, and there's a, a time where you just crush through and you don't look up. And it's, you know, I think it's probably a little bit of self-care and also dangerous at the same time to look up and kind of evaluate where you are and where you want to go. And to be honest, I have some people in my family who were constantly, like, either switching careers or switching jobs or just feeling like this wasn't a fit, so I'll try this. And I just saw them going nowhere. And that sort of came over me and clicked where it's like, okay, it doesn't matter what you do, but you've got to stay with it. And I was already so entrenched in this and did love it, you know, I, but it, I just was tired. I was really, like, burnt at the time. So I took a little bit of a break um, and waited tables for a while, like, didn't leave the industry, but just went on the other side for a minute, kind of save some money, bank it, take a little time to myself, and then got right back in and haven't looked back. So it's so a break, which is okay. This question is related to what you just said, but is there some things that you didn't anticipate coming into the restaurant industry or... Oh, yeah, like all of it? <laughs> like everything? Sure. I mean, I didn't, so I didn't, I started cooking in like 2000, started cooking in 2001, and I had been in restaurants since I was 14, so at that point I was like early 20s. I, I didn't, the Food Network was kind of a really early thing at that point. It wasn't this giant influence. It wasn't like Top Chef and Hell's Kitchen and all that stuff, so... I didn't have this preconceived notion of what a kitchen was or like what a chef's life was or any of that stuff. Like my only interaction with other chefs had been, you know, being on the other side as a part of a larger team. I knew they worked a lot depending on the restaurant. I just, yeah, I didn't have like a whole narrative about what that life was for myself. And I started working, my first job, I started working for a chef that was a celebrity chef. And I had I knew nothing about him. I really knew nothing about celebrity chefs or like even finer dining restaurants. So I didn't, I didn't have this like in-bed understanding or expectation of like glamour and all the things that people look at our lives and kind of think now. So that, that wasn't parked in my head to where this would be a giant disappointment. I'm also someone that really finds a lot of uh, satisfaction with working with my hands and working physically and keeping my brain and my hands working at the same time. So, so that stuff was really gratifying for me. Um, and the creativity doesn't come for a long time, right? Like you're learning basics. That's like saying, how do you like to perform surgery in your first year? And it's like, no, you don't. And there's nothing more irritating than talking about young kids and their signature dishes. It's like, you, you have no idea. So, yeah, and no, I don't think I had any expectations either way. So there wasn't anything that was particularly dismaying to me. I never thought I would have the modicum of success that we're, we're our company is enjoying now. Like I never thought that would happen. I never saw that for myself. And so on the flip side, the more positive side, that's been really incredible, but it's also, it's not something we just like run around going like punk collars, like we're killing it, we're amazing. Like it's a giant responsibility to take care of our kids and the people that work with us and, um, and to operate our businesses with a level of integrity that's really important to us. Is there any reason why you decided to open up a lot in Boston, Las Vegas? Is there like a particular... 
Yeah, my hair is a great question. I'm, so my family was all living in San Francisco, Northern California for the most part. I moved here after a breakup in 2001. I just was like the furthest place from San Francisco. My brother was in grad school. And so I didn't expect this to be like a long-term living situation. And then I moved away and kept moving away and coming back. And there was something about this region that just kept pulling me back. It felt like home. And then I met my wife, who's from Situate. I met her here. Um, and we lived in California for a little while, and then we settled here. So this feels like home. It does. You know, I'm someone who's been a bit of a nomad my whole life, moving around through a military family. So this is um, San Francisco and here are the places that feel most like home to me now. And Boston is now the most home to me. I'm curious because you were describing how you like were moving around and you have a, a bunch of restaurants with different types of influences. Mm -hmm. So for example, like for Tiger Mom, um, where did the influence for you to decide to cook uh, Southeast Asian food come from? Was it like uh, a traveling experience, meeting someone, cooking a food dish? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things for me. Um, Southeast Asian was food that I've loved for a really, really long time. And um, when I met my wife, it's an interesting story, we, I felt like I never thought I would be married or that wasn't something that appealed to me. And when I met her, it was like, oh, like, what, it, this is different. So I have a strong history of like, if I think something's good, I'll try and break it. And if I can prove to myself that it's not the good thing I thought it was, then, then lucky me, I get to be right again. So we took a trip together and we went to Southeast Asia for five weeks, very early in our relationship. Cause I sort of thought, I've never thought this would happen. And if this is what I think it is great it'll sustain this it'll survive this this trip and if it doesn't then no harm no foul we'll just be done quicker fine mm -hmm. terrible i know <laughs> i'm a true romantic and i was already falling in love with her and then we went and you know looking back like this is probably why people traditionally have taken honeymoons it sort of either breaks or solidifies your relationship and we backpacked and spent a lot of time together and also ensconced in the cultures both in thailand and also in vietnam and we were simultaneously kind of falling in love with each other and these cultures, and it just became this really magical experience. Though we didn't really talk about or do anything with for a long time, and we just kept going back, and we've made friends there, and we've been able to like find places that really mean a lot to us and um, learn a lot about the cultures. And um, so it, it was kind of always like pinging around our heads a little bit, and she had said, you know, you should do this. We should, we should do this. And I just, I thought... I don't know if there's space for us to do this. I don't, you know, there's a lot of um, conversation about cultural appropriation that was unnerving to me around, you know, potentially like taking on a cuisine that I was not born into. That's a larger conversation for another time, but when you're not born into anything, right? Like when, like what is, one of my friends um, that lives in the South, who's Southern, I remember him saying, Southern cuisine is my birthright. Southern food is my birthright. And I remember thinking, like, well, what's mine? You know, I'm born in Germany to army parents who don't have strong familial lineage, either of them to, to speak of. Like, it's basically California and Georgia, and that's all I know. There's not more information. I just thought, like, what's mine? You know, and not that this is inherently mine, but for me it becomes a flow-through to be able to celebrate and respect this culture and, and the people and, um, and the incredible food and the kindness that we experience there. Hopefully inviting people to think about that area of the world a little bit more and and it's interesting, we've had a lot of guests that have come through here and traveled to that area of the world because they've eaten here and because it's inspired that kind of curiosity, which is, it's a nice compliment, as long as they're traveling responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> is there a favorite food that you, like cuisine that you like to cook now? Or? In the world, oh, that I like to cook. I'm trying to cook healthier food mm. for myself. I'm 41 now, and um, 
you know, something happens after you turn 35. You just can't eat, like, cheeseburgers and burritos all the time. So I'm trying to just cook healthier. That is not what I want to cook, I'll be honest. (laughs) Anything with um, really complex um, spice combinations really intrigues me. And um, I still stay in this area of the world a lot. I'm really trying to um, dig in more to Northern Thai Malaysian flavors. I love cooking Indian food, but I don't pretend to be any sort of an expert. Like, it's just so nuanced and regional, and, like, I haven't spent the time there that I've spent here. So, like, to have any sort of understanding, I think being at Ground Zero is really important. So I sort of mess around with, like, um, some of those flavors, but not in any appreciable way. So when you're talking about your menu and, like, curating all Mm -hmm. these menu items, you're thinking about it so intentionally, and you probably, like, try try different recipes, and then find maybe, like, one that fits. But... Now going back to your time on Top Chef, like yeah. it's so rapid when you have to think of these recipes. So I'm always curious, like what's going through your mind? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It just comes, right? Like I think if you've done the work, it comes. And I can't. I've never not have it come. Which is not to say that at some point I won't just like draw a blank. But you already have, you know, you have a significant base of work that you've done, right? Of like knowledge that you've gained and the way that you then see the world through this knowledge. So it's not just the knowledge, right? It's like, what is great? I know how to make a hollandaise, perfect. So that's just work that I've done that's been like building blocks. But now um, if I want to do an eggs benedict and the challenge is eggs benedict, let's call mm-hmm. it that, right? And I need to do something different with it. I now am taking this, this thing that I know and using it as a vehicle for not just what I've learned, but who I am and how I see the world and how I invite other people to see the world through my cooking. So I think that happens just innately. And I, like I couldn't, I couldn't tell you like how the mechanics work. You know, I don't compete. I say I don't compete. I did like a month ago. In theory, like I would like to not really compete that much anymore. It's fun when you do. Like it's, I haven't done it in a really long time. And then I did a month ago for something that'll come out later on next year. Going into it, I felt so like over it right? Like I was stressed out again. And I was like, you're worrying about all these things you can't possibly know because you don't know what the challenge or whatever is going to be. And I just sort of like made myself a little bit crazy going into it. And then once I was there, I realized it's really good to put yourself under like extreme stress and scrutiny of yourself sometimes and really force your brain to sprint, you know? So it's as like torturous as it is gratifying and fun anymore. It used to just be like all fun. Now, um, I also think of have more to lose now you know when people are like oh what are you doing with three restaurants if you can't even do like x which is dumb pressure <laughs> i shouldn't put on myself but i do so is there a favorite like dish or creation you've made on the on fly the, on the fly like when you're forced to cook like that on the fly yeah. it's it's different because someone's saying these are your resources in a box right and mm-hmm. so whatever is in that box begins like the thought process when you cook in a restaurant it's different like the the menu has needs. So um, whether it's seasonal or whether it's something that's vegan or whether it's something that represents a region that we're looking to do or whether it's we need more veg or lighter veg or more seasonal, whatever it might be, um, or we need olive branches, right? We're, I, I have to be careful about that here. And I think that's something that young chefs don't always get, that in order to like be a restaurant that people enjoy being at and busy and successful in that way, you have to meet your guests halfway, which is to say everything on this menu cannot be the spiciest, funkiest, most, you know, like, like nerdy thing that I want to cook. But we have things on the menu that are olive branches. You know, I, I think when you think of people that are coming to eat in every group of 10, you know, one or two people just really want a burger. And so it's not a burger, but you have to find the burger on the menu. You have to find something to like buy people in and let them trust you. And then you have some leeway. But 
Um, so yeah, all the thinking just comes. Some of it is strategic, all of it mostly. But when you're cooking on the fly like that, it's not. It's just, it's just completely spontaneous, which is also like what makes it really fun. Like you, it doesn't have to be like X food cost, and you don't have to think of you know. It just has to be like delicious and work and like a time span. So yeah. And so you recently opened up a new restaurant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How is that? It's been really fun. So it's a bar. It's an all-standing American-style tapas bar. It's called Fool's Aaron. It's right next to Sweet Cheeks. And it's tiny, like really tiny. So we're we're asking people to like stretch themselves again a little bit, which is to say like stand up and hang out with your neighbor um, and be in a small space and enjoy a little bit of conviviality together. Um, and it's working. It's like people are, they're not on their phones talking to their imaginary friends. There's no TV in there. So it is kind of forcing this feeling of community and, and just lightness and friendship that's kind of naturally happening, which is really really nice and I don't think we really thought intentionally about that happening um, we were just so afraid that people like wouldn't stand up and eat and have a couple drinks but it's been good and, and it's a bar so like the food sales are um, so much lower than they are at like a restaurant restaurant which has been re- like at first I was like means no one wants to eat my food like I was really like feeling sorry for myself and then you know never operated a bar before so we started really looking at the numbers and and it's great to have people just like come in and drink and whatever snacks they want to have but you know it's it just my it was me getting my head around it because it's not intended to be a full meal it's just intended to come have a couple snacks so it's been fun it's also been like the only restaurant that we've opened that hasn't actually tried to kill us which is oh good. wow yeah <laughs> no <laughs> i'm nice joking i'm yeah. joking but i mean they're hard people talking about you know all the excitement and fun of opening a restaurant and sure that's real but they're a lot of hard work and it takes you know i think it takes really three years for a restaurant to get its legs underneath it to have a strong identity to have following to have to build its own culture and it as much as i would like that to not be true and them to just like you know manifest naturally and happen quickly it doesn't happen 